Welcome to 5 to 4. It's me, Peter. Apologies to any Leon fans out there, but I'm kicking it off this week. And that's because this week's episode is a special one for two reasons. First, Rhiannon joined us from Amman, Jordan. She was traveling, but podcasting is more important than visiting your family on the other side of the globe. So Rhiannon managed to carve out some time and prioritize us. The second special thing is that this is another crossover episode with our friends at Even More News. We are talking about the future of reproductive rights, specifically the fact that the Supreme Court has agreed to hear a case about Mississippi's new super-restrictive abortion law. That case could basically overturn Roe v. Wade as we know it. So Katie and Cody at Even More News had us on to discuss it. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome back to Even More News, the first and only news podcast. My name, you guessed it, it's Katie Stoll. I was going to guess that. You were? Yeah. I knew it. That's why I said you specifically Mm -hmm. guessed it. It's still right. Me specifically being Cody Johnston is my name. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi. Uh, Today, we are extremely thrilled to be joined again by Peter and Rhiannon of 5-4 Pod. Hi, guys. Hey. Hello. Hi. Uh, Hi, hi. Uh, I think last time I introduced it as 5-4 Pod, and this time I said 5-4. What's the official consensus? Because I've heard it referred to in a bunch of different ways. We have uh, never firmly established cool. what it is, and I plan to never do it. Great. Do it. Yeah, vibes it's whatever only. you want it we to just, be. We just go by vibes, whatever yeah. you're feeling. I love that. I love that vibe energy. Last time you were here, I had a minor anxiety spiral afterwards of like, oh, no, did I say the name of the show <laughs> wrong? So I just felt like I would lead with it today and just get everything out in the open. <laughs> you're doing great, Katie. 5-4 <laughs> vibes today, apparently. Before we dig in, I just have got to stop and wish everybody a very happy Pride Month. It's Pride yeah. Month. Yeah. It's the month. Yeah. Hell it's the yeah. month of Pride. I think that everybody knows where we stand as individuals. Uh, but as a small business, I feel it's very important that we express <laughs> our solidarity at this moment in time. <laughs> That sweet, sweet corporate solidarity. We yep. love mm-hmm. that. <laughs> our, yes. our logo for this episode will be rainbow colored, and that is it. Thank you uh. for your service. <laughs> okay, so as most of our listeners know, uh, as well as our guests, because I mentioned this right before we started recording, uh, I have been out of town for the past month dealing with family stuff, and uh, I'm getting my bearings together still, which is why, which is part of the reason why. I am thrilled at the timing of this episode. I would have been thrilled anyway because I think you guys are awesome. But um, I, I, I'm very grateful to have you guys here today uh, and to talk to us about the Mississippi abortion ban that is making its way to the Supreme Court and could potentially decide that all state laws that ban pre-viability abortions are unconstitutional uh, mm-hmm. and uh, what that means for abortion rights everywhere least here in the States. Um, so thank you guys so much for joining us. This is a really big and important topic, and your insight is very valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and we're, we're glad to be here. Um, I'm going to jump right in, uh, cutting off my uh, my female co-host uh, <laughs> on the abortion issue right off the bat. Go ahead. 
Go ahead. My strongest male ally, Peter. Thank you yeah. so much. We defer to you. If I could also interrupt everybody real quick. Um, okay, Peter, go on. Yeah, yeah. If over the course of this episode, if the guys could just interrupt us and maybe um, just sort of like mansplain maybe female anatomy, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I think that would be really helpful. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Could you tell me where the vulva is? <laughs> Sorry, is that too much too soon? <laughs> on the female body. You guys look uncomfortable. It's um, it's it's down there. I'll tell you it that. It is down there. It is down there. <laughs> it's locatable. It's one of the parts. Actually, it's a lot of parts. We call the vulva. Anyway, go ahead, boys. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm. I'll I'll just hop right back into this. So, yeah, there's this case uh, in that coming out of Mississippi. Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization and the Supreme Court just took it. Um, And that means it's coming down next term. Um, But I think to understand it and its place in the law, um, classic 5-4 fashion for our fans, uh, I think we first need to walk through like 50 years of uh, legal history. Yes, Um, sounds right. Yeah. And that starts with... Roe v. Wade, uh, which is a 1973 case. And what really happened in Roe, you know, a high level was that it takes the constitutional right to privacy, which had sort of recently begun to be recognized in other cases, and says that that right includes the decision to have an abortion or not. Um, So in Roe, the court adopts like a trimester framework where they make it harder for states to regulate abortion Earlier in the pregnancy, Uh, they basically make it impossible for states to regulate abortions in the first trimester, possible in very limited circumstances in the second. And then states have a little more leeway to regulate or ban it in the third. Um, And then in 1992, about 20 years later, there's another case called Planned Parenthood v. Casey. Um, Conservatives had sort of taken control of the court at this time, and they were trying to overturn Roe v. Wade. And... um, Instead of that happening, the moderate conservatives on the court sort of formed a coalition to uphold Roe, but considerably limit it in two ways. Uh, The first is that they got rid of the trimester framework. They say that it's outdated. And what really matters is so-called viability. Um, So they say that the states can regulate abortions after the fetus is viable. And that sort of pushes up the timeline a bit so states can regulate abortions earlier in the pregnancy than they could under Roe. And the second thing this case does is creates a new standard which says that you can regulate abortion as long as the regulation doesn't place a quote-unquote undue burden on the ability of a woman to seek an abortion. Uh, The standard created in Roe was a lot stricter. So this gives states that want to regulate abortion a lot of leeway uh, and a lot of a lot more leeway than they had before. And what ends up happening is that much of the following 30 years of litigation about abortion has been about like what exactly an undue burden is. Right. Um, It's a vague term. There's no real clear definition. Conservatives sort of put overturning Roe itself on the back burner a bit, and they started taking this death by a thousand cuts approach where they'd impose all sorts of uh, restrictions on abortion from parental notification requirements for minors to mandatory transvaginal ultrasounds to restrictions on like abortion clinics themselves, like things as petty as like what are what basically amount to zoning restrictions. And they test these things out in the courts, see what works, and just sort of slowly whittle away at abortion rights over time. 
And the result is that even though abortion is still technically a constitutional right, there are states where material access to abortion services is incredibly scarce. And even if you do have access, the process is incredibly onerous. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So, um, yeah, like Peter said, you can see this kind of back and forth, slow whittling away at the abortion right over the course of, say, like the past 30 years or so. Um, so, you know, for example, in 2000, there's this case called Stenberg versus Carhartt, um, also known as Carhartt number one, because uh, there's a second case that follows it. Um, but in Stenberg versus Carhartt, the first one, the court, um, the Supreme Court actually struck down a Nebraska law that banned late term abortion procedures including like a lot of commonly used procedures that occur in the second trimester um, regularly in the in the abortion care context. Um, but then in the second Carhar case, which was just seven years later, the Supreme Court essentially overruled itself um, when they upheld the federal ban on so-called partial birth abortions. Um, and in that case, Gonzalez versus Carhartt, um, it, the, the Supreme Court said that the 2003 Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act was facially constitutional. It was just fine. Um, and, you know, so by that time in, uh, in 2007, Sandra Day O'Connor had retired from the court and Samuel Alito had had taken her place. Um, and, you know, mm. I just want to note while I was thinking about Samuel Alito that um, Samuel Alito, I think the best way to describe him might be the human embodiment of of that taste in your mouth when a pill <laughs> is sitting on your tongue for too long, you know, and, and uh, I do and you know. And, and, and then you it feel- gets Stuck in yes. your throat. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's Sam Alito. Yeah, um, yeah. So, <laughs> so <laughs> Gonzalez versus Carhartt, uh, also known as Carhartt Number Two, um, was really a sign to the conservative political and legal movements that the Supreme Court was was really taking a right turn in its jurisprudence on abortion. You know, they heard two cases on really similar issues, these late-term abortion uh, restrictions. They hear these two cases on these similar issues within the span of a few years, and they come out the other way with a conservative ruling the second time around. Um, And so that brings us to sort of more recent um, Supreme Court cases about abortion. We see another attempt at at a similar kind of flip flop from conservatives, most recently with a case called Whole Women's Health in 2016, and that was followed by June Medical in 2020. So these two cases are even closer in terms of like the factual background, the issues presented to the court. Um, it's even closer, more similar than the two Carhartt cases, um, and so like. Uh, just to emphasize, like Whole Women's Health and June Medical, they are like the same case. It is the same issue. Um, So uh, just to explain a little bit, at issue in Whole Women's Health in 2016 was a Texas law that required that facilities that provided abortions be certified as, quote, ambulatory surgical centers, meaning they basically like had to retrofit their facilities and equipment to meet the standards of a hospital emergency room. Obviously, that was completely unnecessary, unnecessary because abortion procedures are, you know, sort of exceedingly safe. The vast majority are conducted on an outpatient basis, you know, all of that. Um, the Texas law in at issue in Whole Women's Health also required that abortion providers have admitting privileges at a hospital within 30 miles of the abortion clinic. Again, that's not only medically unnecessary, but also would have had the real life consequence 
of many abortion providers, uh, particularly in rural areas, just having to shut down yeah. because they're not that right. close to to a hospital. Yeah, so, I remember this being this was recent. You already mentioned that it was recently, but I remember being up in arms about this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was ridiculous. I actually saw um I actually went to DC and um camped out at the Supreme Court and um saw oral arguments in Whole Women's Health. Wow. Um so yeah, this was um it was it was it was pretty intense, definitely. Yeah. Um Rhiannon so- was doing like the i like waiting for an iPhone, but for even worse nerds. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I've, been ex- <laughs> I've been exposed as a nerd. <laughs> a sneakerhead, but for uh, Supreme Court cases. <laughs> right. So in whole women's health, though, you know, in that case, the liberals won the day. It was a 5-4 decision, and it, and they struck down the Texas law saying that it placed an undue burden on women, you know, according to the Casey v. Planned Parenthood standard. So great swell, uh, you know, that was um, that was a good case for for reproductive rights. Um, but uh, like I said, they they sort of had this one two step and um, Anthony Kennedy retired. And we all know that the big toe, Brett Kavanaugh, replaced him and, and conservatives were like, hell yeah. We get a second bite at the apple. Let's do this. Right. So that's how we get the second case, June Medical, in 2020. It is almost exactly the same law, but this time uh, it comes out of the state of Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So conservatives thought that having a solid, like, five justice majority on the court would deliver them the goods that they wanted. Um, if not totally overturning Roe versus Wade, then at least sort of upholding these really restrictive laws and giving the green light to state lawmakers to to kind of go apeshit on on reproductive freedom. And Kavanaugh, Justice Kavanaugh does join the conservatives, but this time it's actually in dissent because Chief Justice John Roberts actually joins the liberals in a in a concurrence. Um, Because, you know, he's at least concerned enough with the appearance of Supreme Court legitimacy and consistency that, um, you know, he kind of says, no, look, we just decided this damn case four years ago. We can't just do a 180 right now. Um, Got to respect the norms. Right, right. Got to respect the norms. That's right. It was like it was just like too shameless, I think, for him. It it was, you know, it was such an obvious political ploy and he's such an institutionalist. Um, that mm-hmm. wants the court to be respected. Um, that he he couldn't in good in good conscience. Like, yeah, it tastes no. too strongly like the current GOP as opposed to having like sprinkles of it. Well, right. also, well, we can't, like yeah, the whole conversation over the last five years as Trump has had opportunity after opportunity for whatever reason uh, to add uh, justices to the Supreme Court. Has been this specific issue, you know, one of abortion rights. It's a a linchpin issue right now, and so yeah, I it it would have been egregious on so many levels to uh, blatantly, you know, over. Yeah, would have been they just talked. They they just decided anyway. Is um so quick question? So you uh, you've mentioned uh, that uh, like these cases are very very similar. Like it's the same law. Yeah. Um, just sort of in different places. And obviously yeah. there's this long project going on of like, okay, we're going to try this. We're going to do this. We're going to bring, make sure this goes to the Supreme Court and sort of whittle it down. Um, and like they're, they're, they have a whole court plan. Like they're playing the courts f- for this purpose, um, among other things. Um, do they, 
do they even bother changing the language? Because so much of the language yeah. is open to interpretation and like uh, it's a long process of just defining it over many years. Do they even bother or is it just like we're just going to try it again? It depends on the case. I mean, most of them are just trying to find nuance where no reasonable person could could really yeah. find right, nuance. right, yeah, right. Um, I mean, with Whole Woman's Women's Health um, and June Medical, it was it was the same basic case, and the conservatives were basically taking the position of we got it wrong four four years ago. This, but this is the way we should go okay, now. Okay. Um, so they weren't trying to like pretend that they were adhering to it they were basically saying that was a mistake we should we should change right. our tune well i guess 2020 it was 2020 so pretending is over also yeah, no, yeah. No, that's exactly right and you know even though even though john roberts sort of keeps up the air of you know uh respecting precedent and and um you know supreme court legitimacy you know he's a slippery little fish boy so um in june medical he does a deft little maneuver in his opinion where he says hey no one has asked us to overrule planned parenthood versus casey so we can't do that right now lol lol uh-huh. right mm. and and this is obviously basically an invitation to conservatives to keep mm. bringing challenges to abortion rights to the court and you know like he's saying give us a case that asks us to overrule planned parenthood versus casey so we can talk about that next time you know he thinks he's yeah. a he's a very clever little boy there mm. yeah which is what <laughs> Which is where we are, <laughs> right? Um, and you know, I, I think I'll, I'll re. I'll let you explain Dobbs a little bit because um, I think you know more than I do. But the thing to remember is that Roe is the case that creates the constitutional right to an abortion, but Planned Parenthood v. Casey is like the case that defines that right as we understand right. it right now. Yeah, I think a lot of people talk about overruling Casey, and you might be like, "Huh? Well, what does that mean?" It probably means overruling Roe or at least coming very close to it. It's almost like euphemistic to talk about overruling Casey. Um, I it, I think it's functionally the same in most situations. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the same. It's yeah. Essentially, you're just, it's like one stone further you're stepping towards. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that brings us to Dobbs, which is, you know, the case that's pending uh, that will be heard uh, this coming term at the Supreme Court. So. Dobbs is a case, um, I think like Katie mentioned up top, it's a case about the constitutionality of this time a Mississippi law that forbids abortions after 15 weeks. So, um, you know, just to uh, kind of emphasize, this is a full ban on all abortions after 15 weeks, which is way before the point at which a fetus would be viable outside the womb. Um, mm-hmm. And the law only has two very narrow um, exceptions. First, if a doctor determines that the fetus could not survive, even if carried to full term. And second, if a pregnant person's life was at risk, should they carry the pregnancy to term? That's it. So there are no exceptions in this Mississippi law. Um, There are no exceptions for, you know, cases of pregnancy occurring as a result of rape or incest. None of that. This is, you know, super highly restrictive. And if this law is upheld, it would really signal effectively the overruling of Roe and Casey, even if the case doesn't sort of explicitly come quite that far. In fact, this case came to the Supreme Court from the notoriously conservative Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. And even there, the Mississippi law was struck down. Um, You know, notoriously conservative Trump appointee uh, Judge James Ho on the Fifth Circuit 
said that the Mississippi law is so contrary to the court precedent on abortion that it was his, quote, duty to strike it down. So when but when Mississippi appealed from the Fifth Circuit, you know, the Supreme Court decided to take the case anyways. So uh, we're already kind of in ominous territory. Yeah, there's there's sort of a these laws are often passed in order to invoke a legal challenge, right? Like they they know that the the court in Planned Parenthood v. Casey basically expressly said um, you can't ban abortions before viability. They define viability as like 23-ish weeks, which was a little early, uh, but they were being aggressive. Um, so, you know, this this law is plainly violating the Supreme Court precedent, and that's why it exists. They 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 did it so that it would be challenged, so that they, so that they could drag it up to the Supreme Court. Um, and I guess, like, the next natural question is, like, what's the Supreme Court going to do? Um, yeah. We're, we're not in, like, we're not in the prediction game, um, which is most, mostly because research shows that uh, no one can actually predict effectively, or at least most people can't. I will say that it does seem like there's some very clear factions where you have the three liberals, you have the um, three most conservative members in Coney Barrett, Thomas and Alito. And those factions are pretty set in stone. Roberts and Kavanaugh are a little more up in the air um, to the extent that anyone is. Um, But I think the most telling piece of information we have is the question presented to the court. Um, So when the Supreme Court takes a case it doesn't accept the case in its entirety or anything. It selects precisely what question it will be answering, and then it answers that question. So without getting too deep into the details here, they could have taken up a very narrow procedural question um, uh, concerning, like, which legal standard should be applied to mm-hmm. a law like this. Right. Right. Um, uh-huh. Instead, the, the question they took is, quote, whether all pre-viability prohibitions on elective abortions are unconstitutional. Um, so Yikes. again, that's a question that the court has already answered in Planned Parenthood v. Mm-hmm. Casey. Right. It said, yes, mm-hmm. prohibitions on pre-viability abortions are unconstitutional. So it's pretty telling that this is the question they took because like, why would you take a question that the court has already answered unless you're going to change the answer? Right. right. And in exactly. this ruling, it can be decided to overturn something. Or does yeah. that have to be brought? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it it's it's one of those. The court is being presented with options here. They they can they could flat out say Roe doesn't exist. The constitutional right to abortion doesn't exist. Or they could say Roe is much narrower than we had previously uh-huh. conceived it. Uh, right. right? Um, no pun intended with the conceived. Um, the oh, I making think conception the, jokes, Peter. Great. Yeah. <laughs> you know when life begins. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, I think that like, again, we don't like we don't have a lot of insight into what the court is likely to do, whether they're going to do that like half measure or not. I will say, though, that although I think the savvy thing to do would be to not overturn Roe, right? Like this is going to drop in a year. It'll be just a few months before the midterms. If they're if they're thinking in in political terms, it might be a little bit crazy to um, stir up the Democratic base like that. Yeah, um, right. yeah, it has already happened. Already happened in twenty eighteen. Like, yeah, I that that's right. Um, and it, I mean, yeah, you you don't want to ascribe too much savviness to them. I, I think, especially because. You know, it's important to understand the degree to which the modern conservative legal movement is linked to abortion. 
like originalism is the predominant strain of ideology of legal ideological thinking on on the right. And that as a popular concept in conservative legal circles only really gained traction in the early 70s and was like bolstered by Roe, by right wing reaction to Roe. They needed some like ideological academic reason to oppose it. Yeah, it was created this fierce opposition around that time. It wasn't around before. That's right. And, you know, for the next 20 to 30 years, conservatives just banged the drum of like liberal judicial activism is out of control. And Roe was like, you know, the beating heart of that idea of that of that movement. Um, So I mentioned earlier that it was a coalition of moderate conservatives who sort of saved Roe in, in Planned Parenthood v. Casey. That particular development is also a huge factor in like the intensive vetting process in judicial nominations Mm. um, that when Republicans just when they when they nominate a judge, they don't want to see any ideological drift. Right. It happened with Souter. It happened a bit with Kennedy and O'Connor. And um, they want to ensure that they they're nominating people who are going to stay firmly on the right. They're obsessed with this. And so, you know, conservative legal ideology and anti-abortion sentiment are like deeply intertwined. They've all been trained to think that Roe is this great injustice of afflicted in, you know, um, afflicting American jurisprudence. That's like the Kool-Aid that six justices on the court have been drinking their entire professional lives. So I'm not like super optimistic that they're going to take the savvy route mm-hmm. rather than the, you know, like this, this, the opportunity that you've been waiting for is being presented to you. Right. 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 Uh, I'm not sure this is a a little bit of a tangent, but how exactly do they choose which cases and when, if you have any insight into that? Because it's hard to not feel like this is coming up. I think this will be the first case that Amy Coney Barrett will be seeing on abortion. And it feels like that part is calculated. Absolutely. It's absolutely calculated. Like, it's not just a feeling. You are right. Um, It is absolutely validated because because like we've said, right, in the historical context, like the standards, um, you know, the standards and the jurisprudence has been pretty clear. And the conservatives have been chipping away at the abortion right, um, you know, forever since since um, since Casey, for sure. And the conservatives, in addition, have made multiple attempts at um, um, at overturning Roe already. And so, um, yeah, so this is kind of in line with what they've been doing um, in the conservative legal movement. In terms of how they take a case, yeah, thousands of cases get appealed to the Supreme Court every year. Obviously, the Supreme Court, the justices themselves decide what cases they will take. Um, I believe, Peter, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it takes four justices to That's right. um to um to accept a case to say that they want to hear the case and um and so yeah uh you know they conservatives have a six justice majority um you know likely Amy Coney Barrett uh Kavanaugh Gorsuch for sure Alito Thomas you know they they said they wanted to hear the case so it was it was um I think kind of at this point pretty easy for conservatives to get the case in front mm-hmm. of the Supreme Court and so you know just kind of turning to maybe uh. Oh, I hate even it gives me the heebie-jeebies even kind of saying it, but imagining a, a world kind of without Roe versus Wade or a, a severely limited uh, Roe versus Wade um, and what what might happen if, um, you know, Dobbs does effectively overrule yeah. Roe and Casey. Um, you know, conservatives see this as a, a, a moment of great opportunity and it didn't happen by chance. Right. They intentionally 
built a Supreme Court around this idea mm-hmm. over the course of the past few decades. And mm-hmm. and state lawmakers know that and they're seizing on the moment too. Um, you know, it just in the past few months, there have been a ton of new abortion restrictive laws passed at the state level. Um, in fact, the Guttmacher Institute recently reported that 28 new restrictions on abortion were signed into law in a span of just four days in April. Wow. Um, and so, you know, conservatives are just like salivating for this mm-hmm. moment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so if Roe is struck down, if Casey is substantially hindered by the ruling in Dobbs next year, um, you know, there's already a slew of extremely restrictive legislation ready to go into effect. Um Many states have so-called trigger laws already on the books, meaning that um, should Roe be overturned, abortion bans would automatically go into effect. Um, My home state, Texas, just passed a ban on abortion after detection of a heartbeat. Yeah, Um, I was going to bring this up. Pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Six weeks is as soon as six weeks into a pregnancy. It's wild. Six weeks. I. Boys, you can. Did you know that stress or any sort of an extreme situation can fuck up your menstruation? Six weeks, you might not even think twice. You know that you've I've missed your that. period. Absolutely, that is too right. soon. Yeah, for, absolutely. Yeah. Oof. Is yeah, a, six it, weeks is commonly before many people even know that they are pregnant. So, I wouldn't yeah. take. I wouldn't take um, a pregnancy and, you know, test till well after that. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and, 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 you know, it's not an accident that that the clinic bringing the challenge to the Mississippi law in Dobbs, um, that clinic is called Jackson Women's Health. It's the only clinic that provides abortions in the entire in the entire state of Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, almost 90 percent of the counties in the United States do not have an abortion clinic. So in addition to just, um, you know, already existing lack of geographical access to abortion. You have laws that require waiting periods between an initial appointment with a provider and the actual abortion procedure. You have laws that require, you know, medically unnecessary sonograms, on and on and on. Um, And so this is all, like we've been saying, it's all by design. And it's a sign of how state legislators have been able to just constantly be pushing the line that was drawn by Casey that that undue burden standard, and the uh, the how fluid is um, the t- even the term viability because um, it seems like they they run pretty fast and loose with that. They do. Um, the Supreme Court in Casey sort of pinned it. I think it was twenty three weeks. So you you can't get too far from that without running afoul of Casey, technically. Um, but that's that's why I think this case exists. And that I think the sort of certainty of that, the fact that you can't really deviate from 23 or so weeks too aggressively without very clearly violating the Supreme Court's precedent. That's been very frustrating to conservatives. And they are like sort of looking for more flexibility. And I think that's what this case Dobbs is targeting. Right. They're saying, well, mm-hmm. viability shouldn't be the standard anymore. It's it's too firm of a line for the line for them. They They've been loving the gray area created by certain aspects of the law, like the undue burden concept. What's an undue burden? Mm, you know, they yeah. they love is, toying with that. What's a due what, burden? I would. <laughs> I actually I, I jotted that down. I know that you already mentioned that there isn't really a definition of what an undue burden is, mm-hmm. but there are variety. Can you give us some examples of things 
Uh, yeah. So in Whole Women's Health, for example, um, Justice Stephen Breyer wrote the majority there. And that was, um, and, you know, that was the Texas law that required facilities to be surgical centers and um, right. required doctors, providers to have um, admitting privileges at hospitals. Um, Justice Breyer, when, when striking down that law, he said it was an undue burden and he used the term substantial obstacle. Right. right. Which is okay. like, OK, that's not that's not even much more clear, but um, mm. <laughs> in terms right, of wording, right. but um, something that poses a substantial obstacle to um, to a pregnant person's access to abortion um, is, at least in that case, was considered an undue burden okay. and therefore yeah. unconstitutional. There's Got also it. like in, in Casey itself, um, spousal notification requirements were struck down, uh, saying that's an that's an undue burden. Um, although it upheld parental notification for minors. Okay. So, you know, I mean. <laughs> Who the fuck yeah. knows? Right. The the idea though is that the according to the court, the state has some interest in regulating abortion um, for either purposes of protecting the woman's health or the or the uh, fetus, um, and that's being weighed against the rights of the woman, and that's what uh, they're talking about when they say un, undue burden. Mm-hmm. A, a due burden is when the state's interests outweigh the woman's ostensibly. Of yeah. Oh, I would say there's absolutely zero examples of that. <laughs> that that sounds this, right to me, but uh, Texas disagrees. Absolutely. Well, you know how concerned they are with women's health. You know, it's uh, it's so yeah. important to them. So <laughs> important. I feel so protected by my state representatives. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, something we talk about on the podcast a lot is like, what is a constitutional right without yeah. without a remedy um if if the right is um being taken from you or what is a constitutional right what does it mean if you don't have ma- meaningful material access to that right mm. right and so yeah. um just kind of it's just an idea that um obviously conservatives have been toying with in the abortion context right so far um they can say that you know abortion is um is constitutional. They're not overturning Roe, right? But um, they have already been chipping away, like Peter said, um, in with this with this sort of method of death by a thousand cuts in in a lot of areas in the country, especially in the South, especially for poor women. Um, there isn't a strong abortion right at all today, yeah. and so um, yeah. just looking forward to yeah. jobs. It's hard to hard to know what's going to happen next. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, okay, like, let's say they did uphold Roe. Um, there's one clinic in Mississippi. Like, so do you really have a constitutional right? You know, what, right. what's right. the what's the exactly. value right. of that right to someone in Mississippi seeking an abortion? Um, you know, rights rights are not, in our view, conceptual. You know, it's easy to say, oh, you have a right to do this, but if you have no material access to it, it's meaningless, right? Um, conservatives don't view rights like that. <laughs> um, yeah. They view them as more almost like <laughs> ethereal. Right, yeah, there's not um, stu- a, a word they can use to mean like many, many different things. Actually, is there anything we could do about this? <laughs> Sit back and watch. Will we be seeing much information? I mean, so this is it, it, we're still a ways off from this. Well, right, uh, this is, the decision is supposed to be like mid 2022. Um, no, but they start twenty. 2020. Oh, sorry, 2022. Yeah. So well, I, I, for a second, I thought it was 2019. My, if, my if only. But they start <laughs> hearing it this fall, correct? Yeah, they will. Um, there will likely be arguments. I think they're scheduled for October. Um, and then then it will take the entire term for them to hash it out because that's how it always goes with the big cases. And it will almost certainly drop next June. 
Is the way to sort of uh, see all this camping out in D.C.? Is that? Oh, yeah. Where do we line up? Yeah, Re, how do you do it? (laughs) Yeah, so um, I learned the hard way that when you... When you are trying to watch oral argument at the Supreme Court, um, yes, you can wait in a line uh, physically outside and for, you know, big cases, cases that are in the news, um, cases that are important like this one, the line starts at least the day before and you <laughs> just kind of camp out and hope that you are far enough ahead in the line that you make it in before the court fills up. Maybe we should plan a- another crossover pod where we all go there. <laughs> camp out i'm joking I, but i'm also not <laughs> i um i will never put myself in a situation where i am waiting to hear like brett kavanaugh <laughs> talk about abortion i just can't bring myself to yeah do it's that. too yeah, fucked it's up fair. right that yeah. feeds his ego it yeah it does yeah it really does having been um having been in that uh in that monstrous building for for one oral argument i can say i do not recommend so <laughs> Yeah. I, All right. No, so that's I, I a think, no from you guys. Uh, I'll take this to this by myself. Uh, I think in terms of like what you can actually do. I mean, we don't we we don't try to um, pretend that we're organizers. Uh, and I think organizing is really the answer. I mean, from our perspective, yeah. if you're like we're like Supreme Court people. What do you do in terms of the court? You wait for some of them to die or be replaced or someone to back <laughs> the court. I mean, that's it. Right. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, yeah. I think I think that. The only real silver lining of something like this is I imagine that it will lead to organizing that hopefully in the future could um, could lead us to a situation where, you know, access in states like Mississippi Mm-hmm. Looks actually looks more like materially materially better than right. It there's is more right than now. one facility. I mean, it's virtually right. banned like that, already yeah. in the fact that people don't have access. I mean, all of these bills that we've talked about, you know, with the uh, admitting, ad- well, I can't think of the phrasing, admitted. Admittance privileges, privileges, admitting privileges, and all of that is just basically saying you don't, we're not giving you an opportunity to even, and this is a tangent, but when I start to think about that and think about, you know, centers being shut down, it's even more pervasive than just access to abortions, it's access to uh, sexual and reproductive health. Of course. um, That's exactly right. Support, you know, Mike Pence shut down all the Planned Parenthoods and where was it? Where is he, the governor of Cody, Indiana? God's country. <laughs> Indiana, uh, and that led to yes, of God's country, and that led to a huge HIV outbreak. Anyway, right. tangent. No, I mean the one of the sort of things that's been floating around in um, in uh, like in reproductive rights circles for years now is. As they prepare themselves for the end of Roe, which they've they've been sort of gearing themselves up for for a, a long time, um, a lot of people have sort of floated the idea that it, that maybe it will this maybe the situation is so bad that that this will make it better because there mm-hmm. will be organizing and funds, uh, et cetera. Um, I don't think I would go that far. Um, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't know how you weigh like the human suffering on one hand against the like, you know, increase right. in funds uh, on the other. I don't think that's something you can really do. But I think it speaks to how far we've fallen, yeah. right? Uh, how how effective the legislation has been that that conversation can even be had where you're thinking, yeah. well, maybe the end of Roe is sort of what we need here to turn the corner. Uh, mm-hmm. Once you're having that right. conversation, it's like you've been losing for so long. It's like we've hit rock bottom, so there's nowhere to go but up. 
Yeah. I mean, that, I yeah. mean, that was a, uh, you heard that a lot of that argument for uh, Trump stuff in mm. like 2016. Yeah. Like, let's just uh, do it because the reaction to him will be, uh, you know, really good. And, and that know, worked out. Citation well needed on yeah, that. That's, but, uh, that's why things have been going so, so great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we did it. Really yeah. turned this ship around. Uh-huh, yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. Chilling. Yeah. I'm I'm not a I'm not a proponent of like that, that accelerationist argument for mm. exactly those reasons. But, um, you know, I just think it it. It um it does emphasize I think how good the conservative political movement and the conservative legal movement have been in the post civil rights era mm-hmm. at sort of consolidating around um you know uh, reacting to the expansion of rights right and and particularly um you know rights of uh, racial minorities and then definitely definitely around Roe and attacking Roe it's just such a lightning rod issue and they're kind of publicity around it, the way they talk about it, the rhetoric and the dialogue, the culture war stuff that, ha- you know, it, it's created like these so-called single issue voters, you know, the, the um, it, it's just really, um, you can't, uh, I don't I'm losing the words, but like it's it's um, it's so clearly it's so clear that like they have done such a good job, right, yeah. at making it mm-hmm. an issue that people care about, and they've um, and they've made it seem like so so bad, and they've um, they've normalized that uh, abortion at reproductive rights that those are that those are shameful things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that that's what dirty feminists want, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't think you know something we talk about on the podcast is is um the way that the left um and liberals really especially especially liberal um lawyers and liberal justices on the Supreme Court have really failed to to respond to that um adequately um so yeah yeah i one of the most interesting things is that they have, they've had this two-pronged attack where you have this cultural side um that's just anti-choice and then yeah. you have this legal side that, that is about the like liberal abuse of the constitution's original meaning mm-hmm. uh, and they've just managed to like marry these these concepts mm-hmm. together despite them having no real natural correlation um and to the to the point where some you have people like Samuel Alito and Clarence Thomas who sort of just believe both um and you know they're driven forward by both um these this sort of singular ideology that comes from these two very different concepts yeah yeah they're very good at that um, pairing that culture and like moving that forward. Um, and I mean, we're so bad at like, doing the opposite or well, yeah, I'm, I'm doing curious, it too. Like, is it, um, you like for to like specific liberal lawyers sort of not, uh, being able to, uh, sort of combat that. Is it, you get a sense it's, it's just sort of not realizing it until recently that that's what's going on. Or is it like they don't have the infrastructure or like they, uh, like I, I always go back to this, uh, uh, this one line from the good place basically they have like a good committee uh and the it's in heaven and they're trying to get something done and they're like well just do just to help us and uh i forget who says it but they're like well we can't we're the good guys we can't just do stuff. right 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 <laughs> um and it really sticks with you all the time with in case like this is it is it sort of a combination of those things where like they don't want to yeah. engage in that kind of behavior I, I think it is a combination. I think it is. So first, there is a lack of infrastructure on the on the left in like legal circles. They have absolutely nothing compared to like the Federalist Society right. and everything you have on the right. Um, right. I also think there's like an engagement in with the conservative argument as if it's in good faith um, mm. that ends up 
with just a hedge. And you, you see the same thing in the cultural arguments, right, where like the liberal position ends up being something like safe and rare rather than just like, mm. no, well, we should, you know, we should increase access, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you're sort of granting the premise that the conservatives grant yes. you uh, that the conservatives are proffering. And the same thing happens on the legal side where um, liberals have basically said, well, look, originalism it has it has some merit, you know. We should adhere to it a little bit, but not all the way. You're going too far, you know. You're granting them that the premise that they're operating from is correct, but you're just saying I wouldn't take that premise quite as far as mm-hmm. you do. And obviously, that's a losing argument. That, that you're mm. always going to look, um, you know, a little weaker when when that's what you do. Right, and then the line shifts. Uh, it goes closer and closer and closer. It's the next time you have that argument, like okay, like still, it's okay a little bit, but not that yeah. much. And then uh, those limits, uh, yeah, keep changing. Yeah, and I think that's this is a great example of that sort of Overton window shift where all of it, like you know, they've been hacking away at abortion, and all of a sudden it's like, well, all that's left is Roe v. Wade. Yeah. Right, um, and now they, they, you know, they're uh, like <laughs> calling all, like, all these heartbeat bills. Um, like you do that enough and then you have people sort of like, again, like you're saying, like trying to hedge and hedge and stuff and like, well, okay, okay. Like, well, like that's like close yeah. to it. And, um, cause it's also like a very emotional, uh, terminology, mm-hmm. um, to yeah. rile yeah. up on that. We have to wrap this up soon, but I have one more Supreme Court question that is not abortion related. What and it is, is it? about Stephen Breyer, who is 82 year oh, old, 82 years old, should he retire now and save fuck us? Yeah. Yep. Okay. That's. Yes. Get I figured that would off get the court, the... Stephen. Are yes. you listening, Stephen? Wild <laughs> that in 2021, this is still like a debate being had, and like he does, he like day one, he wasn't like, okay, it's time. Like, what the fuck? Right. I mean, I mean, we're just talking about like the inability of liberals to effectively sort of uh, respond to what conservatives have done uh, around abortion. And like, this is, it's another, it's another example, right? Like how the lesson was not learned uh, from Ruth Bader Ginsburg, not retiring in 2013. Right. What Um, a gut punch. Right. Um, how they are still in denial about this. I mean, Stephen Breyer is out in public these days over just the past few weeks talking about how um, we shouldn't be politicizing the court so much and they all get along and they're good friends. And, you know, yeah. essentially saying, like, I'm here. I'm good. I'm not going anywhere. Right. Um, it's disgusting. I will say, you know, a, a thought I keep having recently is Stephen Breyer has been very outspoken recently in a way. And the things he's saying are garbage um, and make people think that he's going to stay on the court. But I will say that it's very unusual for him to be this outspoken. Um, He says he's got a book coming out in September. And that makes me think maybe he is retiring. Um, um, You know, maybe he is sort of setting the stage. um, And, you know, I don't know. It's it's really hard to gauge. But I will say he's acting weird. And that makes me think either one of two things is happening. He's a... One, he's he's retiring, or two, he's very defensive and lashing out at everyone. Or three, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, like, no, yeah, leave yeah. me alone. I'm staying forever. Make a joke about yeah. being old. Both and of them deteriorating, are but come on. It's just wild. It's like the one, like the only thing, like Democrats like love more than losing is not learning lessons from like yeah. that's right. a year ago. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, we love closely that. related phenomena. Yeah, classic. 
Classic yeah, Democrat. Well, lip he doesn't. Move. We're we're like ninety five percent sure at this point that Stephen Breyer does not listen to Five Four. So fingers crossed for your show. You know, he listens think, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think he's everybody. We merch. Well, look, he's, uh, we're the only news it. podcast out there, so I'm not sure yeah. where else he's getting his information. That sounds not right. right. Show. Yeah, you're right. Uh, so I have to assume that he does. All the citations in his book are going to be just this show. My prediction is he <laughs> retires Friday. Maybe maybe Monday. Maybe he takes the weekend as this will drop on yeah. Friday. But you listening, yeah. you little worm. Yeah, you yeah. idiot. You fucking idiot. Watch out or else Rhea is going to give you a very unflattering descriptive like she did for Alito. So. Yeah. Uh-huh. I've been trying to tell um, our Zoomer fans that he looks to me a lot like Earthworm Jim. Uh, they don't know who that is. Uh, but I promise you, he looks a little bit like Earthworm Googling. Jim. It does kind of look like Earthworm Jim. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, he sure does. Any Zoomers listening, go play Earthworm Jim. He sure Jim. does. <laughs> Have a frustrating time. All right, we've got to let these kids get out of here. Uh, thank you again so much for joining us. This has been very fun for such a dark subject. Anytime. Um, yeah. taking you up on that for sure. Uh, and <laughs> that's it for us this week, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. And remember that we love you very much. Very much. All right, guys. Thank you for listening to this special episode. If you liked it uh, and you want to hear more, even more news, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts. Just do, a, just do your basic search. I'm sure you'll be able to figure it out. Next week... We are back with classic 5-4 with the Case Smith v. Maryland. We're going to be talking about whether the government can eavesdrop on your shit on a whim without a warrant. And a quick reminder that we've got a new summer merch drop. Special feature Stephen Breyer retire bitch merchandise with or without the bitch because uh, we understand that some of you have regular people lives to live and don't want to offend everyone who sees your shirt. We are also going to sunset some of our Amy Coney Barrett designs. Last call, baby. Get it while you can at 54pod.com. We'll see you next week. 5 to 4 is presented by Prologue Projects. This episode was produced by Rachel Ward with editorial support from Leon Nafok and Andrew Parsons. Our production manager is Persia Verlin. Our artwork is by Teddy Blanks at Chips NY. And our theme song is by Spatial Relations.